like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and today, uh, Lisa Griffin... Lisa Murphy? <laughs> Sorry, I went into you your face. You call me Lisa Griffin Murphy. That's technically my name. <laughs> Lisa Murphy and Liz Nolasco are joining me today, and we're going to talk about Mem Fox. Um, do either of you need to say anything? <laughs> I think I, I will know say you that are um, by I, now. Put, I put lipstick on for your listener, watcher, viewers today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm yeah, sitting in I'm front not. of a better wall than my couch with a really old caterpillar. That's my hint of improvement. <laughs> That's your improvement. Uh, I'm not going to release all of them, I don't think, but um, uh, it's been fun. Just People were case. asking. <laughs> yeah, we got to get all dolled up for it. Um, okay, so we're going to do, this is another uh, in the ECE Influencers series, and we actually probably should have been recording already because we just spent, what, 10 minutes talking about our, our editions of the books and our stories behind, uh, behind our Memfox books, um, and I don't, I don't know, but I, mine is a used copy with an inscription from a friend, teacher friend to another teacher friend, and I love that. Um, Did you actually know the people in the inscription? Oh, no, I, no, I, I got it from Half Price Books, um, and I just love when I buy a used book and there's an inscription in there. And Liz's copy is one I gave away. <laughs> I think my and radical reflections came from a used bookstore, but reading is magic. Was the reading you know. <laughs> is magic. Yeah. So, so anyway, Mem Fox, um, here we go. Lisa's got three books in her hand. Um, so as, as you know, if you've listened to the uh, other episodes in this series, we're just picking someone that has been meaningful or influential for us um, in our work with young children. And we're going to each share some things that are important and talk about that and uh and so we can jump in liz's cat's tail is very distracting just narrating the the scene for everyone hey lisa you want to start sure (laughs) people who know me separate from your amazing podcast Uh will have heard me say this quote before but it was my first exposure to Mm -hmm. memfox so i feel that i owe some homage to start here i'm thrilled when other adults suddenly howl at the end of a book it makes me dare to think it might be a good book 
because good books have much to do with the effect they have on the reader as with any other criterion. If we do not laugh, gasp, block our ears, sigh, vomit, giggle, curl our toes, empathize, sympathize, feel pain, shiver, excuse me, weep or shiver during the reading of a picture book, then surely the writer has wasted our time, our money, and our precious, precious trees. My goodness. Well, first thing, I don't want to vomit when I read a book. But look at the emotional impact it would have had on you if you did. Think of what it must lead, what kind of a book must lead to that. Well, and I, and, and I've always, that, that was always my springboard quote into if there's not an emotional connection to the book, why are you reading it? Or get your ego out of the game and realize that the book you might have had a connection with isn't resonating with your readers. Mm, so be willing yes. to close it and put it down. Yeah. So that, that was my first one I had. I have a whole list of I Mem love Fox it. Is so quotable. No kidding. Is that from uh, Reading that is from Magic? Jared Mem Fox. I've oh. read all of your books, even the pathetic ones, which <laughs> is the best title of a book ever. And if you're not familiar with Mem Fox, she collects letters. Of course, kids write her letters. And this was actually a letter written to her by a student. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so I thought as you were reading that, that list of things it might a good book might make us do. I think that's another reason to move away from theme planning. Mm. When we're theme planning, we're really looking for a book about a thing and sure. not, not about an emotion, not anything. about an emotion or the experience of reading together um, or how it affects us at the end or during. That is awesome. I'm writing that down. Oh, okay, fine. Well, you know, I'm always collecting rationale as to why you should pitch themes, <laughs> theme planning. So that's, that's a nicer, a nice around the yeah. edges. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other, the other one that I absolutely love is what on earth you may ask has the ability to draw got to do with the willingness to write, which is, I often use during the art workshop, which is just because a kid has painted a picture or created an image does not mean that there's a story that goes with it, right? Not every book has a story, excuse me, not every story has a picture and not every picture has a story. And that's been a big aha for some people, depending on how old you uh -huh, are, uh -huh. right? And oh. what educational bandwagon we were on. Like if you're my age, you were sometimes taught that the minute a kid wrote, you know, drew something, you had to collect a story about it. Mm -hmm. And his mother's maiden name and his social security number <laughs> and his birth date, and you had to write it all over you know, the picture. Yes. And, and I appreciated that somebody other than me was saying, you don't have to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that one was in Radical Reflections. Okay. Uh, so that sounded like Radical Reflections because it may even be from the same chapter that my quote is from. But will you read the list again? I loved it. Will you just read the list again? Of course. <laughs> um, if we do not laugh, gasp, block our ears, sigh, vomit, giggle, curl our toes, empathize, sympathize, feel pain, weep, or shiver during the reading of a picture book, then surely the writer has wasted our, our time, our money, and our precious, precious trees. Yeah. That's a great quote. It really is. And um, she ha she ha her children's books are great. Like I was, I was thinking as you went through the list of, right? of her children's books that I have read with children. Do you think she looked at all of the books she ever wrote and went, hmm, what does one feel when one reads my books? <laughs> In her beautiful Australian, Australian accent. <laughs> Yeah. No, I don't. Well, I, I probably, probably she does. I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe other people have told her how they have felt 
maybe perhaps when they have read her book. Sure, sure. through that maybe. Yeah, I I, I felt some of the things from that list when I watched Steve read Possum Magic for the first time because he'd never seen any of them. And I was like, yeah, turn the page. Come on, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be great. Keep going. (laughs) Come on, Liz. Yep, Liz's turn. For a quote or for responding to the list? Because I'm still forgetting. Whatever you want to do. I mean, I can jump in, but... If you're okay switching gears to sure. a blog entry from 2013, Learning from Learning. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, I'm going to start and end. It's two paragraphs that I'm kind of combining into one quote. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> she says, now I know it's possible for us as teachers to appear to be efficient and effective even when there is no trusting atmosphere in our classes, even when the relationships are so tense and unhappy that our students learn less than they might. But what's the point of all this if we truly dislike the children? Oh, <laughs> wait, say that again. <laughs> Sorry. From the top and louder for the back. I'll send you the link to you so you can post this with the sure. show. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> now, I know it's possible for us as teachers to appear to be efficient and effective even when there is no trusting atmosphere in our classes, even when the relationships are so tense and unhappy that our students learn less than they might. But what's the point of all this if we truly dislike children? Oh, my God. Now, I have to ask Liz, because I ha- <laughs> I I'm not looking at that. Is that where her blog post ended? Or was no, it, there, there was more. quite a bit more, but okay. it could have been a mic drop right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I, have to, I, have to, I have to process this. So, um... I love it when other people say or have already said things that we think that we're coming to for the first time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Yes. Like, I know that you and I have bantered about that same exact topic numerous times. Mm-hmm. And I know occasionally I'm like, does nobody else ever think like this? <laughs> Seven years ago, Mem Fox was thinking, was thinking like this. Yes. <laughs> and probably had been and just wrote it down finally in 2000. Right, because she learned how to blog. <laughs> Yeah. So, so say the part about efficiency again. Sorry, seriously. I'm, I'm no, so slowly. And there's a whole block of, you know, good teacher behavior in between. Also, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's really, really good. Um, let me see. It's possible for us as teachers to appear to be efficient and effective, even when there's no trusting atmosphere okay. in our classes. Yeah. So, so do we think that that's just that sort of playing teacher or teachering and going through the motions and having a group time and reading a story, but not necessarily. Oh, I would actually, no, I would even, I would go maybe a different direction. Uh-huh. I would say that, that m- maybe until she drops the last line, yeah. I would say mm-hmm. that it could be like, I, and this is going to sound silly, but follow my train of thought. Like uh-huh. I'm, I'm the good seed in this like toxic, chaotic environment. <laughs> I choose to be here for whatever reason, but I'm, I'm the breath of fresh air in this potentially dysfunctional oh. early childhood environment. But what good is my ability to be able to do that if I don't even really want to be there uh-huh. or I don't like the children? Okay. Yeah, that that's is a different I, direction, but that also makes sense. Yeah. And this has been another episode of that. <laughs> right? Like, I don't even know where to go now. Ooh. So you've, you've had some time to process this, Liz. I have. Help I, us. I actually, it brought me to what you've said about interviewing teachers uh-huh. and how liking children isn't enough. And I 
you know, and obviously it's easy to reconcile. It's not enough, but it's certainly important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I've got to add that to the lineup. It's not enough. <laughs> Um, right. And I think it's, I think it can be so obvious, right? So it, my workplace or working interview is required to be hired on. And I think you can tell so much just from seeing someone in a brand new classroom, brand new kids for 30 minutes. Oh, 100%. It's, it's not a perfect system, right? But man, you can, you get a sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and to that, Liz, you get a sense of, oh shoot, I might've made a wrong hiring choice, or you get a sense of, hmm, a little rougher on the edges, but I think with some strategic intervention, we might be okay. And you might also get, yay, me, I can now go focus on room seven because this bitch got it down, right? <laughs> I don't need to worry about this one. But I, I do agree with that 30 minutes, you know, and I think the, the only, the only concern I would have to that, and I realize this is not what we're here to talk about, is that um, you can't necessarily take a risk like that on absolutely everybody that walks in the door, but how awesome it could be if you, if, if you could, you know, yeah. like, could you throw them in for 30 minutes, watch from the window, and then invite them to a, perhaps a follow-up interview? Yeah. Yeah. Because then also they see something that maybe they didn't realize was part of the job and they come back and they're like, Oh, you mean I have to interact with them? <laughs> right. Right. Oh man. Okay. Liz, that was a biggie. It sure was. I, I actually to... think, um, and I'm not directing Heather's show, but I think that could actually be an entire podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. We need to revisit that at length. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's her blog called? I, you know, I honestly yeah, I didn't, didn't even know she, know she had, had one. Oh, um, oh, like I my blog, it's just, this is Liz's show now. <laughs> it's, just, it's her cat show and her cat. Oh, wait, we can't hear you. Your cat muted you. Go cat, go. <laughs> Memfogs.com. Oh, okay. Um, but this was under, she's got several sections of the blog. She's got for writers, for teachers, for parents, and I forget what the last one was. Oh, for children. Okay, cool. And for kicks and giggles, because I'm a nerd too, when was her last post? Like how, how current is her blog? Oh, um, so it's spaced out, but the last one I saw was just from a couple months ago. Nice. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Excellent. So, so I'll tell you, when I bought the book Radical Reflections, that's the kind of stuff I was expecting. I didn't realize that it was all about teaching people to write. And so it's a wonder, it's a great, great book, but that's the kind of stuff that I was hoping for when I bought the book. Go revisit her. So I need to check out the blog. Podcast is over. I've got to go read. <laughs> <laughs> she oh, does connect this to, yeah. um, to teaching, teaching writing to adults, but she, she also says, you know, brings it mm -hmm. straight back to the kids too, you know. What's the point of doing this massively important lesson in literacy if the kids are bored out of their brains? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so to that, that ooh, we were on the same page. Yeah. For a start, I couldn't immediately count five senses in night noises. Then I felt my heart contract with sorrow. I love how she writes. Yeah. What's so sinful about reading a book for reading's sake? Sinful? Yeah. Uh, what's so sinful about just reading it? 
Uh-huh. Is there someone out there who's saying that reading a book in class has to be legitimate, legitimized in some way by using it to teach the five senses? If so, they're crazy and should be locked up for crimes against literacy. <laughs> Dear God in heaven, protect me from these butchers. What's wrong with happiness as an outcome of reading? Is it too cheap? Is it too vulgar? What's wrong with laughter as an outcome or fright or enchantment or sadness? Yeah, that's amazing. Right? And that emotional connection is when kids get into the books. That's right. And that's sort of where my quote is. But um, I think that there isn't, you know, I've talked a lot, and I think with both of you, I've talked about this, that um, the people who get into the field because they just like playing teacher, they just like that role and acting out, you know, maybe that was how they did dramatic play as a child. And so they took that as a calling instead of um, just a childhood preference. And uh and I think book reading falls right in there. They feel they're, they're more about the, um, the group time and the sitting in the chair and having the big book instead of, uh, you know, with the whole group. And, um, you know, some of the award-winning children's books aren't that engaging to actually read with young children. They may be beautiful or they, you know, they have great rhymes or, you know, they, they cover the right kinds of topics, but, um, if, if there's not an emotional connection and children aren't enjoying the book, then it's not really contributing to their development as a reader. Or it's That's it. Put it down. Negative. Put it down. Yeah. If nobody says anything on page one, put it yeah. down. Yeah. But look at how ego, you, like you have to have made peace with that. It's not about you, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not about playing teacher. And I, I wrote that down. I'm using that. Yeah. Just because yeah. you like playing teacher doesn't mean it, it's a calling. Yeah. Like I, I need to look for it in a blog it. post <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So I want to jump up. Oh, sorry. I was just going to to um, look this because my quote kind of piggybacks on what Lisa's was. So I want to just read it. And then so remember what you're going to say, Liz. Um, the entire book, its feel, its look, its smell, and its story is a combination designed to delight as a whole. It's through that delight that I see children both learning to read and wanting to read, mm -hmm. um, which I, I think we focus just on the learning to read too, too often. I know that children want to read when they see adults spending time doing it. And, and I forget who said this one time, it could have been Bev. I don't remember who it was. So mm -hmm. forgive me for that mm -hmm. said one day, don't make dinner. Not on purpose, like, but if the book you're engaged in is so amazing, let them see you not make dinner. And then they're going to be like, I want to do that. What, what's in there that is so amazing. good that you don't, that you neglect like your daily duties? Uh-huh. Oh, I, I, duty. I did that so often. I didn't even realize I was teaching my children to want to read. I just thought I was neglecting them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if they were really hungry. Yeah, they knew where the food is. <laughs> they, they knew where the food was. Um, yeah, I forget, I forget who said that. You know who I think it was? You, no. Do you remember the guy who used to do literacy workshops? He was like really tall he, and he was like known as like the giant reader or something like that. I forget his name. Anyway, I no. think he was the one who said that. But I'm um, going to look him up. Yeah, I what Jim maybe? I don't know. It's it, <laughs> a pretty safe guess. <laughs> Jim the Is it a Jim or a Bob or a... <laughs> Oh 
Um, actually, I think it's, uh, I think he's a reference in my playbook. So I, I could probably oh, look in the research okay. section of the book I wrote and maybe sure. remember his name. Sure, sure. <laughs> Save it for our next reading episode. I but guess. there was a there was a story that I did tell in the playbook about a little girl who crawled into her dad's lap because he had been so engrossed in a book all afternoon, like on a weekend, and she was like, "I want to know how to do that because it's mm -hmm. captured your attention, like this over me, like not in a, in a neglectful right. way, but like what I want to know how to do this too." Yeah. So of course they're going to want to know how to read. We approach learning from such a deficit point mm -hmm. of view like uh, is that even the right use of that phrase like we assume mm -hmm. that they're not going to want to do it like it's going to be a chore that it's hard on them they don't they don't want to and i think that shoots us in the foot as educators and even as parents too like don't drink the kool-aid of thinking that your kids don't want to do that mm -hmm. and then like opening self-fulfilling prophecy because they absolutely don't when you're sitting down and forcing them to do phonics drills oh, <laughs> exactly yeah. Was it which of the which is the book where she talks about how her daughter learned to read and the teacher was like, why does she know how to? Was it this? Was I it think it's magic? reading magic. Reading's magic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What did you do? What did you do? Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> definitely is in reading magic. Yeah, and I've told this story a million times, but um, Curtis learned to read on his own before kindergarten, and I think mostly it was because at night he would get in bed with me and I would have my book and he would have a book. And then one night he just like read over my shoulder a couple words from my book. And I was like, what in the world just <laughs> happened? Um, but I think that's exactly what, what you were describing. He, he saw it, he wanted to be part of it and he sort of figured it out. Um, but then Josie didn't learn till the end-ish of first grade. Um, because uh, and yeah, and she, she, because they were doing this curriculum called phonograms or something. Oh, I don't know that. It one. was really weird. And it was the teacher at the end tried to like rally us all together to start a charter school because the school wasn't going to let him use that curriculum anymore. Um, but I was, this is off topic sort of, but I just remember her, she was like crying one night. She was never going to learn to read. And I was like, Josie, almost every kid learns to read. You'll be fine. And she's like, but I'm not like every kid. I don't go to sleep when you tell me to. And, I don't. and she started listing all these ways that she was not normal in her eyes. <laughs> I was like, no. All of her transgressions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. And I hate um, broccoli. And yeah. I hate <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess the, the moral of that is that there's lots of ways for children to learn to read. But the most likely way to get them to want to read is to make like she wouldn't have been crying about never learning to read if there wasn't something a want. she wanted yeah, about point. that good point good point mm -hmm. i'm thinking of my niece and then i want liz to jump in so my niece <laughs> get ready liz read, um but chose not to like uh -huh. so so there was some concern initially like can you even do it you know she's like yeah but the stuff you're giving to me mm -hmm. i don't like at all and so I was on this hunt for like, what's the book that's going to like hook her. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being that fairy tale series, which now I'm like, Oh shoot. I don't think I have any on my shelf. Cause I borrowed hers to read them. It was written <laughs> by that. It was a guy who was on Glee. Do you remember this series? Uh -huh. It was a, a spoof, not a spoof. Like it wasn't like funny, but he did like a, a, a spin on nursery rhymes and fairy tales. Oh. Dude wrote like seven books about this. Oh, I'm now. Yeah, another thing for us all to Google. <laughs> well, and, and no kidding. So I started reading them because they're the only books that this chick was into at all. And 
now this is so interesting to me. So what was this? Maybe third grade? So she's reading them. She's on the wait list because, you know, the next one's not coming out till Christmas. <laughs> yeah. and, and she's like gobbling them up. And she started like a, a book club it, at her school. And, you know, every, I don't know, somebody's going to get mad at me for saying this. She was the only girl in the book club. Oh. There were five other boys that really, really, really liked. Say, that's the opposite like, of what I would expect. It was the opposite of what oh. I would expect too. And I only just said that because I, I don't want people to think that I just assume that only girls would yes. like that kind of genre. <laughs> but it surprised me, and I'll own that, that she was the only girl that was attracted to this particular genre. And I even went back through and reread them with that lens of thinking like, you know, was there an attraction? Like if we were going to divide the room to, you know, boy and girl, like being attracted to certain types of books. Yeah. Um, and I, I really, I really didn't see it. I thought it was a very, very well written series and somebody start talking so I can look it up. Cause one <laughs> listeners, watchers is going to be yeah. like, what the hell yeah. is it? Well, you assigned it. Liz to go next. So. Yeah. And that was a perfect jumping point to where my brain already was. So <laughs> I appreciate this, but just book selection, which we were talking about earlier. And I've been thinking basically since quarantine, right? So I've, you know, the libraries are closed and mm -hmm. we're still reading to kids Mm -hmm. And so I've been using Open Library, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's, oh, um, oh, it's amazing. So it has millions of books and they're all legally obtained and you mm -hmm. borrow them like a regular library, but nice. they date back. I mean, they've got old, old, old manuscripts through very modern books. Mm -hmm. And so I've got this great selection great. of children's books that date back like 30 years. And oh. so I've been going through and looking at, or, you know, really more than that, but the 30 years tends to be mm -hmm. my cut off for when they start getting a little less racist and sexist. Um, <laughs> so you mean like 2010? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've been thinking about the words and the emotions that we hide from children in literature. Oh. Because Ooh. there seems to be a marked cutoff in the 90s of words like selfish and greedy, which I found pretty interesting. That they stopped being used or they started? Yeah, they stopped being used. Um, there were a couple others. I should have been writing down the list, but it's just been kind of oh, casual observations. Mm -hmm. um, and then your cup, was it, at least I'm sorry, I don't remember if it was what you said or if it was a quote from Mem where she talked about sadness in books. Mm -hmm. And it's yes, so glossed yeah. over and just, I think it makes us adults much more uncomfortable than it makes the children. Yeah, and I, I think it's sort of insulting that we, that we feel like we have to sugarcoat things in children's books and it all has to be happy and cute and or funny. Those are great, but, um, but children experience real emotions. So of course they would connect to a book about real emotions. Um, and now we're back to why Lisa Murphy loves the original fairy tales. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, land of stories, FYI, for the person land who's been of wondering for the last three minutes, what the series was called land of stories. All right. Thanks. So anyway, yeah. I would love to see Liz a list of the words. Yeah, there's a master's thesis right there. Like that, you can. No, no, no. I already have one. Um, <laughs> don't say that. She's already working on one. <laughs> but Heather and I are kicking around dissertation topics. So right? <laughs> I mean, I could, I could get behind that. Words yeah. that don't appear in children's literature after a certain time frame. Uh -huh. Yeah. Google's it's gonna really crash cool to as soon as this episode gets released. Really, and, and so many of them are moralistic, which oh, really? makes me, yeah. Huh. 
It's funny to me that they would stop. Now, this would be an interesting question. Mm-hmm. The words that stopped being used and then words that started being used. Mm-hmm. And yet I would probably venture to guess that it was both decisions were made through some kind of a moral lens. Mm-hmm. Oh, probably. Unique is also one of those that picked way up in the 90s as greedy and selfish and dumb fell off. Oh, my goodness. They're all (laughs) snowflakes. Yes. So we can tie that conversation. Why are people doing this? That's my thinking face, I guess. I don't know. Mine used to be this. This is actually my thinking face. Uh I do this. So people will just have to imagine what we're doing. I just scowl and everyone asks what's wrong. (laughs) Then I lose my train of thought. Oh, no. Like oh, these no. things right here that, that yes, exactly. you watch, yep. like that right there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, sorry, folks. We're just making faces at each other while you wait for us hey, to get I'm, back I'm to the conversation. The lens that all of this is going on the YouTube. So. <laughs> I know. So, oh, yeah. So that's a whole other thing. I don't want it to ruin recording sessions. That's why oh, fun. no, but I think it can be more visual, which sure. I think the, uh, Many of us who are often guests on your podcast, and thanks again for that. Um, we are very kind of visually driven, yeah, and yeah. Um, I think that enhances maybe the experience for some of the listener yeah. viewers. Oh, good. Sure. I want that <laughs> list, Liz. I'll work on it, I promise. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, do we need to wrap this up so we can all go, all go start Googling? I have to read, I have to read one you about another it. one. Okay. Ditto sheets were and still are unreal, pointless forms of written language. No one in real life fills in ditto sheets. Ditto sheets do not develop higher order thinking or an ability to write coherent, continuous prose, yet students have to fill them in for hour upon wasted hour throughout Mm -hmm. their education. Nothing hangs on the outcome of a ditto sheet, whether it is correctly filled in or not. Here endeth the lesson. Yeah. Well, nothing meaningful comes, but a lot of, you know, there's a lot of bullshit children have to process through ditto sheet experiences. But But imagine if you had a really big thought and you were only given, you know, a one inch square or a rectangle to fill fill it in, you're gonna then start censoring and reducing. And so you you often would uh-huh. not get an accurate insight into maybe the language that was processing in somebody's head because you're only giving them a little bit. Right, and then you develop that habit of thinking that you just, right. everything's, everything's simple and easy. <laughs> yeah. Which one is that from, is that from? That's from Dear Mem Fox, I've read all of your books, even the pathetic ones. All right, cool. Some kid wrote that. The time I got in trouble in first grade for making a word bold in like a written journal. Like I just traced over letters, and my teacher was mad at me for wasting time. And I was like, "But I'm emphasizing this is important. (laughs) This is a rhetorical tool." You know, and I want to circle back to that because I've I've often said this in seminars that that so if you don't bring an inherent passion for story for language to the table. School is going to just strip that away. Mm-hmm. And so the, the personality that can overcome a comment like that you received from the teacher that that was a waste of time, like you had something inside of you, right? That was going, mm, okay, thanks. Yep, I appreciate your input. Um, but I still really think that that word needed to be emphasized. 
But what if you weren't that personality? You know, right? What What if you were like, oh, all right, you know, they, they make us sit through these classes, but they really don't want to know what we think. You know, they really don't want to know what I think about that book. And and I, I would say that nobody is going to willingly plod through To Kill a Mockingbird or Wuthering Heights or Jane Eyre or whatever that grade nine, you know, reading list is, unless at some point they have fallen in love with the entire process mm -hmm. and i'm sorry i don't want to sound all negative and line in the sand but if if you've had that squish out from preschool until grade three four five that takes a big yes. effort intentionally to overcome that right. to be the kid in ninth grade who actually is like yeah i can read hamlet or i yeah. want to talk about hamlet or wants or to and so i think about I mean, Wuthering Heights is a good example because it's the most amazing book ever written. Um, but most people hate it because of school, like if they've ever been exposed to it. And and part of that, I think, is because worksheets demand that they be very concise and give only the right answer. And they have years of that before they are given this book with rich language and dialects and um, 300 pages or whatever it is. Um, it doesn't fit into the compartmentalized right. like, boxes that they've been trained. Right. Right. The process literature with. Does that yeah, make sense? It does, right. yes. Yeah. Hmm. It's the complete opposite of what we've trained you, in essence, to do. Mm -hmm. Give us rich, responsive language to this particular book, mm -hmm. but yet we've trained you to, in essence, not know how to do that. Yeah. Or you did know how to do it, and we trained you away from <laughs> thinking that it's important. We read Wuthering Heights in 10th grade, and I had already read it twice by then. And, um, the teacher could not figure out nobody's going to know what i'm talking about here joseph's dialect <laughs> so i oh, spent really? a lot of time in 10th grade decoding for my teacher <laughs> what that character was I, I get it <laughs> so i've been on a hunt like total digression here on yeah, your podcast that's, that's fine i have been on a hunt for the actual original movie for for years like i you have it i can't get a copy of it yeah. not a colorized version i right. want the black and white lawrence olivier, lawrence olivier. Mm -hmm. yes copy of it and god love my ex-husband he bought me every version other than the one you know that i he's like is this it yeah that's not it but yeah nice try. You, can, you can borrow mine um yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, but also watch the one with tom hardy Really? I don't know that it's a great retelling of the book, but Tom Hardy's not. Nice. Like <laughs> no day. It says Heathcliff. Um, okay, sorry. I want to know if Liz has another quote because yeah, let's let's go back to Liz to bring us back to the topic. <laughs> oh, I feel bad. That was that was the one quote that I that I oh. had because it just oh, really. Oh no, hit that's me. cool. I just yeah. I just know I can talk too much sometimes. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, okay, well let's let's be done then. How about that? How about that for a wrap up? Let's just be done. Um, the ball and it's time to transition. <laughs> I, Mem Fox was the keynoter at the NAEYC, NACI NIAC, NAEYC conference a few years ago. Uh -huh. And she held up a book, her, her at the time newest book, the Two Monkeys book. Uh -huh. And she said, from the rest of, for the rest of your life, before you read a book, before you turn the very first page, you need to tell yourself what I'm about to do is amazingly important. <gasps> Oh, that's a good place to wind up on this. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, great. Thanks, Mem Fox. Thanks, Mem. <laughs> and thank you both for joining me to talk about Mem Fox. Um, uh, Tiffany and I did, we're not really ending, surprise. Tiffany and I did an episode about her, and um, I hit record before she 
new. And Tiffany was like just jumping around going, ma'am, fox, ma'am, fox, ma'am, fox. So that's how the episode starts. So we can end it. We'll end it this way now. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to another episode. And thank you both for being here. And everybody go read some mem fox. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.